Hello, Team Builder. Thank you so much for joining us today on Ask Michelle and Chris. We're here to answer your questions about team building so we can learn and grow together. I'm your host, Chris Cabert, of Fun Doing and On Team Building. I'm joined by my co-host, Michelle Cummings of Training Wheels. Let's go find out what we can answer for you today. Hi, Michelle. It's good to see you today. How are hey, things? How are things? Good. Yeah. How are you? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. I'm still, I'm still a little tired, tired even from last Monday. Um, <laughs> just catching up, man. I don't know how you did all those things that you did online and getting ready for those. I know. You, I remember you telling me you stayed up late, late, late. Oh yeah. I'm still, I'm still catching up on sleep from all the the work. But it was fun work. The workshop on safely distancing or distancing activities is uh, went well. Um, so I'm okay. very pleased with it. And on the assets packages up on my. Yeah. Uh, and store. how many activities did you end up with like 75 different activities? Something like well, that. Well, we ended up recording 45. Oh, cool. So people stayed, they were really gracious and they stayed an extra half an hour for each one. So I could get all of them that had scheduled. So there are 45 basic descriptions with diagramming to explain how to do the activities. And then the resources themselves, the written resources included the 45 plus were over 70. So whatever the math is in that 45, 55, 65, you know, there's 25 more written resources that are included with the package. So there, yeah, there's a, a bunch of, you know, distancing team building activity, you know, keeping, keeping players at a, at a distance from one another. Nice. Um, yeah. That's so it's a good, seems to be a good resource and I'm, I'm really happy with the outcome in the video. So yeah, we'll put that in the show notes in any case anybody's interested, but yeah, yeah I, I so empathize with you and all the hard work you've did. You've done yeah. over, over the months with all that. Cause that it's cognitively exhausting. It is. Yeah, it is exhausting. And this week I'm actually doing my um, experiential facilitation 101 course in the classroom. So oh my, we, nice. We have, uh, so I've got four days, three days with most of the participants and then one day for my certification um, for uh, training as well. But I am excited to be back in the classroom again. Of course, the classroom looks a little different than it normally does. We've got a larger room and spread out tables and, you know, all those things that we need to do to keep everybody apart from one another, especially since with this group, they're flying in from multiple places to do it. So we'll mask up and I have touchless hand sanitizer dispensers at every table and all over the place. So, uh, so it'll, it'll be, it'll be good, but it'll be good to be back in the classroom and, and, you know, amongst facilitators again, and just talking about, um, the basic nuts and bolts of experiential facilitation. I just, I love teaching this course so much. Yeah, great. Great. Yeah, definitely. We'll, we'll put that in the show notes. I don't know if anybody can We'll hear this and because t- you're starting tomorrow, right? We are starting tomorrow. So yeah. if you're listening to this now, I do my next course is in December. It is uh, December fifteenth through the seventeenth. So yeah. cool. Um, so yeah, that'd be an opportunity for you to check it out, and we'll I do have an online version of the course as well. So it's awesome, awesome, awesome. All right, well, let's jump in. We're caught up a little about? bit, and uh, I, you know, we we have a bunch of questions in the queue, but one we're going to tackle today. Uh, is about how long do you let an activity play out? Oh, and yeah, yeah. And, and and Michelle and I were kind of thinking about this. You know, it's been on the list, and I wanted to bring this up because of the context of masking up and distancing. 
if that changes, if that would change for you, Michelle, you know, we'll, we'll give our thoughts about what we do as letting things play out and maybe the, the nod to or the consideration of these times that we're in right now as we get together with people. Yeah. You want to, you want to start us off? It sure. It looks you like know, I think, if I think about what I, how I would answer that question, how long do you let an activity play out? I think my first initial response to that question is, well, it depends on the type of activity we're doing. You know, if it's an icebreaker activity, then I would have one answer. If it's a problem solving communication based activity, I would probably have a different answer and then debriefing activity, I'd have even a different answer. So I think maybe it might even make sense to break it down into those three things and talk about each one of those independently. So for icebreakers, I think if I were answering that question, I would say it also depends on the length of time I have with that group and what the intent is of the entire program. If it's really a team bonding, team building, when they're really just forming and trying to get to know one another, I might let those icebreakers go a little bit longer, especially if they're doing partner exchanges where they're getting to know multiple people in the group, then I would probably maybe schedule 15 minutes, you know, for an activity. Whereas if people know each other really well, I might shorten that to like five to seven minutes and not do as much because there's already a baseline of prior knowledge a little bit there. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. It's definitely, I mean, we could spend an hour on this, but it's definitely contextual. And I like what you said about if they're, if they're kind of a new group, maybe they're a newly formed leadership team, those chamber of commerce leadership teams and are just getting started. Yeah, you want to spend more time getting them to share names and, and details about each other. It's then about how long do you play a specific kind you know, a name game, how long I would let a name game go on longer if they don't know each other. So they have time to practice mm -hmm. the names and then switch up the activities. So we're doing a different kind of a name game, but still practicing the same skill or ability, which is learning names. So mm -hmm. I like that. We don't, you know, stop it before it stops itself. Having enough of those activities for me, like learning names, I have enough, then I can switch it up. I can switch it up. So I think if they know each other, let's get on and move on to something more challenging so they can develop their skills and abilities and other things, but play a little longer if they don't know each other. So I mm -hmm. think for the icebreakers, name games, that would be where I would sit. I, I totally agree with you um, on both of those. I think if then if we move into problem solving slash communication activities or whatever your next things are, I have this kind of feel this almost like this sense that happens when I'm doing activities that you can almost watch a group start to build, if you will, build and their energy builds until they get to this point where they're either, it's almost a sweet spot where they're either going to break through and get it like they're almost there or you start to see their energy take a turn and all of a sudden they, it starts to go towards breakdown. So there's that sweet spot at either breakthrough or breakdown when you really start to feel the energy shift, that's where I start to make decisions on what I do next. Do I stop and offer assistance? Do I ask the group if they'd like a tool? Uh, do I stop and do a mid-brief maybe and just kind of help them along a little bit? What's working? What's not working? What do you feel like you need right now from one another, from me, from the group to really 
continue that energy build and to the breakthrough rather than having them go the opposite way to the breakdown. My question for you is when you say, hey, I'm here for you. Is there anything that you need at this point in time? What do we need? Do you do that more often when you think they're breaking down or is it 50-50? With, do you stop them when you see them they're going breakthrough or when do you make that choice? Yeah, I think I usually uh, would start, when I start to see their, their energy change, their nonverbal body language change toward they're really starting to get frustrated rather than that excitement and push through. And I will say I've definitely honed this skill over time. I was not good at this in my first few years of facilitation. And I probably had some poorer experiences for my group when I didn't properly diagnose that early on in my facilitation career. Now I feel like I have a pretty decent handle on it when you can really start to see, you know, that energy really shift. It's a feeling, it's a sense, it's a really read, being able to read the group well and reading their energy, if it's working well or work or not. It sounds like more often you, you offer that when it's break, when it's looking like it's breaking down. Yes, correct. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you on that one. Early in my career, as you say, as we're going back in time, mm-hmm. I would jump in too soon sometimes mm-hmm. and, and not let them struggle. So depending on your objectives, I, I have found and learned now that struggle is part of what we want them to experience because of the strong emotional connection to struggle. Mm-hmm. So then we can right go, okay, what, what is it? What is the experience like for you right now? What are some ways then you might be able to change that? So then give them when they're in that feeling, if I jumped in too soon, that emotion wasn't powerful enough, I don't think at times for them to really make some cool choices yes. about, oh, yeah, this was awful. And what, what were we doing that was leading us to this? That picture is a little clearer, I think, when they're deeper in that emotion because there has a little bit more uh, meaning to them. It's a, sometimes it's a little hard choice. Do you, do you want to let them go to, in, in, in Tuckman's the storming, because if we prevent them from going there, then they're not going to storm. They're not going right. to get through. So that's, that's sometimes a hard choice. Yes, I totally agree with you because there is value in the struggle. Absolutely. And I would say there's also... When you start to, if we, if we kind of relate it back to the comfort zone bullseye, like comfort zone, you've got green comfort zone, that's everything I'm good at, yellow stretch zone a little bit further out, and red danger zone, like no new learning takes place there. I think if we, you know, if you also are kind of using that same gauge with this, like you want to stretch them, you want them to struggle, but not to the point to where there's no more learning taking place. It's not that we're, we want to coddle and make it fun all the time, but there also comes a point to where you know that this is going to be, a, this is going to cause more harm than good if we have them continue at this place. Yeah. And, and that would be what, what we know as more of a therapeutic program on purpose. Then, yeah. th- then this is programmed to, you know, get to maybe a crash because then maybe that's what people, that's not what most of us do. We want to give them an experience that is enlightening enough to help them, you know, learn and grow and change things that aren't working for them. Yeah, yeah. that's cool. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a fine line. And you, you, both of us have learned it takes experience and time. And I guess I would err on the side of jumping in too soon and jumping in too late. Mm-hmm. Um, because pulling them back in when you're new and you wait too long, 
you might not have the skills and abilities to pull them back in into buying into the program and buying into what you're doing. So yeah, you know, if you're new and you're just getting started, you know, kind of sit with it a little bit. I was saying that comfort comfort zone is also with the facilitators of sitting with what you're comfortable with. And then if it's going too far for you that you don't know if you want to manage this, then yeah, step in, check in with them mid brief. I love that where you just saying, okay, what do you know? What's working? What's not working? What do you want to do differently? Mm-hmm. So that, that in those stages of problem solving, I like that we're stepping in um, when you're, you're noticing and making sure you're observing and keeping an eye on everything. Well, that then leads us to how long do we let a debriefing activity go on? Whew, that's my favorite topic. It's my favorite thing. And, you know, and this also is one that it kind of depends on the intent of the group and what you're there for. So back when I used to do therapeutic programming and I was working with uh, kids that were in some sort of therapeutic program and things like that, there were times where we would sit and talk about something for hours. And that wasn't necessary. It was probably what was necessary at the time to keep everybody safe but it wasn't necessarily um, an intentional debrief after the end of an experiential activity. So if we're, inten- if we're looking at the end of an experiential activity, then that right there, you know, I would say, again, it depends on the intent of the program, how long you have with this group. A r- good rule of thumb for me is at least 10 to 15 minutes, at least. Now, I know there's some listeners and even myself included that you know, sometimes we get to the end of the day, we're like, oh my gosh, we only have five minutes left and I didn't get to our big final last group debrief. There is still time to debrief, even if you only have five minutes. So please, if you're listening, please don't forget to do the last minute large group debrief because it is so important to end on a good reflection piece. As far as how long does it go on? Depends on the size of the group, depends on the intent. There's, there's so many factors that go into the final debrief. I would say what's coming up for me is it's most relevant in the time now where we have to distance and mask up is to allow for more, a more space to debrief. We've been collecting, Michelle and I and, and some other people have been collecting a little data about what's working and smaller groups are working better than larger groups just because they can hear each other. So now when we debrief, we may not, you know, the whole group may not hear everybody's comments, but maybe it's better to get into small six to eight size groups so that we can really get to, everybody gets a chance to share. They may have to repeat themselves. They may have to, you know, re-explain what they're thinking, but yeah, really focus on making sure you have enough time at the end and then being able to change things up, maybe do a quick one, short one, one word answer, and then change up activities to re-energize or refocus into something more interesting that other people might like to do. Some people like to talk, other people like to use props. And I would also say for me, I I generally now default to uh, pairing and sharing first before I go to the large group. So that way, if I ask a question, I can still ask everybody the same question to where then they have a little bit of time to self-process, think about it, share with a partner one-on-one. That way everybody gets a chance to answer the question and not just that one person that raises their hand first all the time or that one person that we've heard from 10 times today, you know, because they're just that their comfort zone is sharing externally with others. Whereas more of our introverted people that, that are more internal processors, we don't hear as much from them, but they, it's just as important that we provide that space for them to reflect as well. So 
the pairing and sharing technique I utilize so much. Like I want you to think about this final, you know, reflection. First, think about it for yourself, answer it with one another, and then we'll bring it back into the large group. And then I'll um, ask for a few volunteers to share either something that they shared with their partner or maybe a really cool, important point or reflection that maybe their partner shared as well. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think you and I have talked about things we've learned about concentric circles, how you do that inside circle, outside circle, then they're paired. And mm-hmm. then people just move, one circle moves one to the right. And then you've talked to a new person with a new question. Mm-hmm. Uh, on my recent fun doing blog post, I have something called SIA, which is mm-hmm. a small group, kind of, and then you mix and mingle, but you're, you're organizing them where their spacing is, is a little bit more set. So you're putting down spots or you have a place for them to go so they don't have to worry about mingling and forgetting about that. So we'll put that in the show notes as well. But I love the small group stuff, uh, especially at this time, uh, yeah. just to keep them in that mode of, of uh, watching out how close they're getting to each other. Awesome. Yeah. And I, and I also feel like allowing everyone at least the opportunity to share one-on-one with somebody else also just honors that whole, we've been isolated and distanced from one another for a really long time. And Maybe not everyone has felt like they've had a voice or really been able to share, you know, their thoughts, their opinions, their reflections and things like that. So pairing and sharing first allows everybody to have their voice be heard by somebody. And then, you know, and then it's up to them whether they choose to share with a large group or not. But but again, so how long does it play out? I, being the debriefing queen, um, I would love to spend a good 10, 15 minutes minimum at the end of a program. Now that doesn't always work out that way, but that is truly what I would love to have happen. Um, And then sometimes I even go over that because there's just so much good juicy stuff we can pull out of the learning at the end of the day. Yeah. And and that's why we do what we do. That's the hope for most programs. You know, if you're energizing, maybe there's not a lot of talking, but still there's, you know, what are you leaving with? What are you taking with you? Even if it's just there and they're having fun, just to remember that part of it. So it's mm-hmm. very important. Well, I, I think we, you know, I think we scratch the surface. Yeah, absolutely. If there's more interest diving deeper into one of those three areas, send us in a question and, and see if we can address it a little more specifically or some techniques, or because I know Michelle has tons of techniques of how do we uh, process in, in a, a short amount of time versus what do we do in a longer period of time. <laughs> Michelle, it was great to see you again. We're Zooming. Everybody, we're Zooming. So we did, we haven't seen each other for a while. Hopefully you got something out of this one. And Michelle, we'll see you soon. Okay, sounds great. Thanks, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. If you have additional answers or comments about this question, please send them our way. And if you have a question you'd like us to tackle, we would love to hear it. You can find the submission link and anything we discussed in today's episode in the show notes. Find the show notes and past episodes at onteambuilding.com forward slash ask podcast. That's onteambuilding.com forward slash ask podcast. You can find me and sign up for my newsletter at training-wheels.com. You can sign up for my Fun Doing Fridays activity email and find me at onteambuilding.com. We hope you join us next week for... Ask Michelle and Chris about team building.